last week we talked about what love is in the context of God. Today we're going to talk about how that practically walks out in our day-to-day life. podcast extension of the healing places the podcast where we examine scriptures line by line verse by verse and ask ourselves what is happening here and ladies i'm excited because once again we are joined by mr george p wood how are you doing today sir i'm doing very well dallas how are you i'm doing great last week we had a great conversation going through the first half of john and we're going to wrap up uh john that's for us john first half of john chapter three and we're going to wrap it up today uh kind of talking about some practicalities of love and walking that out um, and that's one of the things I love about John in the scriptures is he he doesn't just put things out and it's very frou-frou language and very, you know, mystical. He's very like, this is what we do. <laughs> this is the practical side of things, which is, I think, uh, something I think that um, I think more people need to get to the habit of bringing to the forefront of the conversation. Uh, so let's jump into it, ladies and gentlemen. Starting in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life for us, or lay down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has a uh, has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can God? How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love the words with love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Okay, so he's coming out, and John, is he switched the discussion to the importance of love to the actual outward expression of it. He's encouraging his readers to express love through their actions, not their lip service. And so kind of my first question for you, George, is what does it mean to lay down our lives for our brethren, as some translations say, and how do we actively express love in our actions? Right, well, I mean, you know, as we look at John um, and we look at the other writers of the New Testament, they, they mm-hmm. always have the example of Jesus in mind, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the premier example of, of Jesus' love for us is laying down his life for us. In the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus says, no greater love has a man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. Right. And so the death of Christ for others— um, is, you know, of course, the basis of the atonement, right? I mean, there historically, there are three theories of the atonement, broadly speaking. There's the satisfaction theory in which uh, Christ gives his life for us and in our place. Uh, there's the ransom theory in which, again, I mean, basically Jesus is the ransom to, uh, as it were, purchase us back from the devil as if we've right. been kidnapped or something. And then there's the moral, the moral example uh, uh, theory of the atonement, which basically says that um, you know, Jesus just sets this example. In reality, all three have elements of biblical truth, right? I think that, I think that the, a, a proper theology of the atonement has to deal with the fact that, you know, uh, Christ offers Himself for us and in our place. Right. But the ethical consequence of that is always that giving oneself for the benefit of another is is the basic Christian ethic mm. that we exist to 
not primarily satisfy our own desires or to help ourselves, but really that we offer ourselves for the benefit of others. Now, mm -hmm. we're also part of a community in which there's mutual self-giving, right? Right. And so it's not just that we're out there, you know, suffering for Jesus while everybody else gets the benefits. It's, it's, that's not the idea, but, but, but we are supposed to follow Jesus in this example. Right. Now, of course, not everybody is going to be a martyr, right? Right. Not everybody is actually going to lay down their life in order to save somebody else's. It's mm -hmm. the pattern of self-giving that's important. And so that's why John immediately turns from Christ's death to the way that believers help the poor. Right. Right. I mean, I think that we all valorize this notion of laying down our lives for our others. But Jesus is that or John is actually asking us to do something that's far more simple, which is help a brother out. Right. But I think sometimes we think it would be a lot easier to just go die on the field of battle to save somebody's <laughs> life than to actually go and help poor people in our church. Right. But that is really where, where John lands. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister need, here he's talking about fellow believers. I think that there is a logical extension of this outside of the church community too. But mm -hmm. at this point, John is specifically talking about affecting change within your own community first. Sure. Um, but, and he does not have pity on them, which doesn't mean, hey, oh, I feel bad that they're in that condition. It means he actually does something for them, right? Right. Um, um, how can the love of God be in that person? That's why he says, you know, it's not enough to have words or speech, but you must actually do something. Yeah. And so I think that, that as we look at John, I think that helping the poor, especially poor believers, becomes the primary example that you, you see. I, We've been editing an article uh, in preparation for the for the forthcoming issue of Influence, and you know it's based on Acts two, and there's that a passage in Acts where you know they had everything in common and shared and gave as they had need, and Acts four says the same thing, and then Acts six they talk about the distribution of bread to the widows, and then the pastoral epistles you have all these things about how you're supposed to help the poor. I think that if there's any any point of challenge for comfortable middle class American Christians, it's the fact that we need to do better mm -hmm. at demonstrating practically our love for poor believers because and for the poor in general, just mm -hmm. because we can be so comfortable in our middle class lifestyle that we don't see the need to sacrifice anything, even though we have a lot that we could put to use for others. Absolutely. And it's not just, I feel like some people, they, we have the mindset of, well, I'll give money to that. And that's a great thing. That's a blessing to give money to individuals and stuff like that. Um, there's, there's a popular meme that's gone around mostly within the agnostic and uh, atheist circles of thoughts and prayers don't do anything. And obviously we believe in the power of prayer, but there is, John has been on there to have, when there are people to act on that. And it goes beyond just giving money. Uh, it's, taking care of people, helping out a situation. Today, before the recording of this podcast, uh, I was part of a crew of guys. We had a, a person in our church who um, had a massive uh, portion of a tree on their house. Uh, we had some crazy storms here in Shreveport, 80-mile-an-hour winds, and uh, the limb that fell down should have fallen on the house, but praise the Lord, it actually twisted it around the tree and into the backyard. So there's just one big limb in the backyard. Me and five of the guys were out there, and um, the guys were chainsawing. They were examining things, making sure things were safe. 
we cleared the lady's property, made sure it was good to go so that she didn't have a massive tree that was continuing to damage her house. <laughs> right. right. And that was just an act of service. That was a few hours this morning in right. the heat. You know, here in Louisiana, it's 105 degrees right now. There's a bit of a sacrifice right there. Right. But we did because we care about this individual. Right. And I think that I think that John mentions the poor because poverty was so widespread in ancient society. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not the only example of how we follow Jesus in self-giving. It's just right. a big example. But there are right. other ways. I mean, how, how you serve your spouse, um, you know, how you how you discipline your children can be a right. matter of self-giving instead of just as an expression of anger. You yell at them and get yeah. it out of your system. You're like, OK. They need to learn something. How can I tamp down on my anger and my emotions and actually mm. benefit them in this point of discipline? There's yeah. there's there's a million examples where self-giving love comes into play. I think this is just the biggest example that John gives. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's continue on the conversation. Verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at the uh, rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So I want to pause here uh, for a second. Why Why does he bring this up, this conversation about hearts condemning us? What's taking place here? Well, I think it's, I, I think it's because of the fact that, you know, even though John has said in the first half of this chapter, Mm-hmm. That, you know, if you're in God, you're not going to continue to sin. And there is an important truth to that, because in principle, we already live in the reality of the kingdom of God. You know, we are those right. upon whom the end of ages has dawned. And so theologians talk about the fact that that uh, the, the blessings of the kingdom are proleptic, that mm. they that they come before. And so. The New Testament routinely speaks of things that we think as an experiential matter are in our future, perfection, glorification. Right. Uh, but but they're so confident about it happening that they talk of it as in the past. You have been seated with Christ in the heaven and realms, you know, Ephesians. Um, and so I, I think that what happens here is that people forget their theology mm. and they start going back onto their experience. And so mm, they start good. looking around and going, well, I know that God loves me and that Christ has saved me and that the spirit has empowered me, but man, I'm still screwing up. And, you know, ah, ah, maybe I'm really not in Christ. Maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe he doesn't really love me. And so in that sense, our hearts condemn us because we are focusing on our experience and taking our eyes off God. Mm. Um and so in that sense, our hearts condemning us is an act of bad theology. Mm. You know, we, you, we go back to the thing that you emphasized at the start of the, the first podcast on, on this chapter. is that mm-hmm. Identity is crucial. Mm-hmm. Who you are in Christ determines everything else. Right. The story that God tells about you has to determine the way you actually live. Right. And so if the way that you actually live is contrary to that story, you're telling some other story than the gospel in your own life. Mm. And, and, and that's when our heart condemns us. Right. Um, and, and we need to be, be worried about that. Because notice that in verse 21, and I don't mean to steal your thunder, no, but go it goes it. on to say, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's that's the honest thing is that once you realize that God is for you, not against you, mm-hmm. that God has done all that can be done to bring you into fellowship with him and that God has given you every resource in heaven and on earth. You know, uh, you go to Ephesians one, you know, Paul lists, you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed, you've been elected, you've been predestined, you've been glorified, all this. Every resource that can be provided to you has been provided to you. Right. There is no lack in your life. So Mm. if you feel lack, if you feel condemned, if you feel that you're not in God, the problem is you. (laughs) Right. And you need to get back onto the gospel side of the story Mm. because that's where the confidence lies. Absolutely. There is a, uh, a, a whole nother conversation about emotions versus truth. And that's kind of what you're hitting on. There's people, we, we lean into our emotions, we lean into our experiential uh, ex- things that take place in our lives. And we go, well, I don't feel like God loves me. Well, that's, I mean, you could not feel it, but it's not the truth. God loves you. He cares about you. And that comes down to the point of us having um, faith in the scriptures holding that into an authoritative place of going, this is what the Word of God says, period, end of discussion. And if we can go, look, this is what the Bible says, this is what we're going to do it. Um, you know, I had a friend of mine says, look, I don't, I didn't write it, I just quote it, and I do it. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. And so It's a little can... more complicated than that, but that's always a good start. Yeah. <laughs> so... There's a there's a book that um, John Mark Comer wrote. I forget what the name of his book is, but it's kind of an updated version of this monk named Evagrius of Pontus mm-hmm. wrote in like the sixth century. And it's it, the, the title of the book is literally Talking Back. Oh wow! And so Evagrius is trying to explain how it is that we resist temptation, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's writing to his fellow monastics and his Pentecostal. I'm not into monasticism, but this is a very interesting insight. Right. Evagrius simply notes that when the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus did not approach him on the basis of his own authority as the word of God incarnate. He simply quoted scripture. Right. So for every temptation, there was a quotation of scripture. So this entire book, Talking Back to God, is simply listing out all the temptations that the monastics were experiencing and saying, here's the scripture that you quote, that you talk back to the devil with. There Mm. is extreme value in knowing scripture and being able to say in a given circumstance, uh, you're telling me this, but here's what the word of God declares. And I'm going to go with that. So I, yeah. there's a lot of truth in what your friend is doing. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so this is, I, this is great advice in my opinion for people who that you're dealing with that. And that those who are watching or listening right now, if you, you're following this camp, you're like, man, I, I'm questioning my salvation. I'm questioning with where I'm in with God. Mm-hmm. Lean back into the truth. Lean back into what the scriptures say about who you are and who you're not. And rest in that. And allow Holy Spirit to minister to you. Allow Him to bring healing to your life. Uh, I once had a person say, they're questioning their salvation. We're with a group of friends, and a buddy of mine goes, you know, the fact that you're questioning and you're worried that you're not in right relationship with God probably shows that you actually care about God and you're okay. Um, And, you know, if you didn't care at all, well, that's a hardened heart, and that's a whole other conversation. Right. But now Paul goes from the people who are concerned, they're dealing with that. Now there's... He's bringing out the aspects of those who they're they're good. Their heart's good to go. Dear friends, and you read this earlier, dear friends, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandment and do what he pleases. 
The outgrowth of a heart that is at peace with God is absolutely abundant. We have confidence when we approach God. We actively keep his commandments and we do what he pleases. End of discussion. End of the day. Right. Um, but then he goes on here also in verse 23 and 24. And this is the his commandment. To believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he commands us. The one who keeps God's uh, commands lives in him, and he is in him. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by uh, the spirit he gave us. So he, he puts out very frankly to us that the commandment is to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another, which again goes back to some of those conversations earlier. Um now, it's, it's important here that he's putting out this aspect of love, um, believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we talked about this a couple of weeks in John chapter 2 of the, uh, so how the heretics were, they were basically saying, you don't have to believe in Jesus. But he's saying, no, no, this is a commandment. This is a, a key aspect. Believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. Over the years, we've heard people say different things. What does it mean to believe in the Son? Does it just mean that he does like, okay, this is the name? Like, I believe this is the name that exists. What does it mean to believe in the name of his Son? Yeah, I want to get to that because it's an interesting question about what is the nature of faith. The the other thing that I want to talk about, though, is is that what's at the start of this verse and what's at the end of this. Because, you know, John has this, like James, basically says, look, if you're in God, ask for whatever you want, he gives it to you, right? Right. And um, if you detach those verses from everything else that John says in this letter and in his Gospels and and wherever, uh, you can get into a sort of a form of prosperity theology where it's like, well, I'm in Christ, so I'm confessing that Bentley. You know, I need my my sixth private jet. There was an ev- a famous evangelist who I think, uh, you know, was justifying the purchase of a multi-million dollar jet because he didn't want to be caught in a in a tube filled with demon filled uh, people on uh, public airlines. And I'm like, well, aren't you an evangelist? I mean, isn't that an opportunity for the greatest exorcism <laughs> that's ever been done? But whatever. I mean, th- the point <laughs> is that when you connect confidence in prayer with the ethics mm. and the example of Jesus, we can have confidence in prayer to know that. Uh, we're going to receive what we ask for because our desires have been shaped by God and God Mm. wants to give us what God himself wants, (laughs) you know? So I I wanted to say that on that end. And on the other end, you know, uh, there's also this element of the spirit. Mm. Um, You know, we're we're Pentecostals. We're used to the spirit being loud, right? Yeah. Um, And I always worry about our evangelical brethren who, who posit that people receive the spirit, but the spirit is not evident. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that when, when John is writing and when the new Testament, people are talking about the reception of the Holy spirit, um, that they are talking about something experiential and evident. Mm-hmm. Um, not just tongues, by the way, either. I mean, the, yeah. the whole panoply of spiritual gifts, but, but the spirit is at work revealing, doing, etc. Right. So, so we need to keep that on that end so that, you know, both the experience of the spirit and the example of Jesus, so that when we get to this point of confidence in prayer, we're not, you know, going off the reservation and, you know, <laughs> confessing our need for a, or making a declarative prayer about a multi-million dollar <laughs> house or whatever. 
Right. And I'm glad you but pointed then, that out because uh, just kind of piggyback on that. That is an aspect that, um, depending where you are, and we've talked about this often on the show, it's a both in thing. There is the word of God, there is the scriptures, but there's the spirit is active and moving in people's lives. And we talked about this at the end of, of, of John chapter two, where it was like, look, you know, the commandments, the word of God, but also the spirit teaches us he's active in our lives holy spirit is there with us teaching us and we have to have both of these working in tandem together and um you know i'm sure you've you've been around the block long enough to see enough camps enough people who have gone one way or the other they have been like it's all holy spirit and they forget to read their bible and then we get cults and then you got people who just forget about holy spirit and it's all word and it's and it's honestly it's kind of a cult in of itself because you've now I've said, well, God doesn't move. Right. God doesn't move. Today. Well, and it's bad. It's bad theology because it's bad Trinitarianism. Mm, right. That's a good word right there. God is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they, mm-hmm. they all cooperate. Yeah. And so if you elevate the word of God, which is which isn't scripture primarily, first and foremost, the word of God is Christ. Scripture mm-hmm. is identified as the word of God because it tells us who Christ is, right? Mm. Either by way of Old Testament prophecy or New Testament fulfillment. But it's the Spirit who inspires and empowers the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that guides the actions of the Spirit. And all this is done at the behest of the Father. So Mm -hmm. when you you pit uh, sort of an evangelical biblicism against a Pentecostal uh, emphasis on spiritual gifts— You've already gone wrong because, you know, what God has joined together in his own being is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's not separate in terms of our spirituality. Word. But I want to get back to this, this idea of commandment. It's interesting to think that the gospel itself, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, is a commandment. Mm-hmm. It's an invitation, too. Right. But, but God wants us to be in relationship with him. So what does it mean to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. I, I think we've already adequately discussed what it means to love one another as he commanded us. So what mm-hmm. is belief? Um, you know, historically, I think that we talk about belief in terms of mental assent, mm-hmm. right? You, it, you, it, it, it's, it's what I call belief that. It's a propositional belief. Mm-hmm. Um, example, I believe that George Washington was the first president under the current U.S. Constitution. Right. Um, but that doesn't make any difference to my life because George Washington is dead, right? right. It's a belief <laughs> exactly. that I have, right? But it's just a it's just an assent to a truth. It's just a cognitive. It just dwells up in my head. So that mm. the deeper sense is belief is a personal relationship or trust. Mm-hmm. And so there, it, it's one thing as a 21st century American to say I believe that George Washington was the uh, you know, first president of the United States under the current U.S. Constitution. It's another thing to be crossing the Delaware in one of the boats and saying, I believe that George Washington knows what he's doing. Right. There, there's that element of trust that somebody has your best interests in mind, that this is a person who is trustworthy and will repay that trust. Mm -hmm. There's a third element to faith, though, that that is present in both Greek and in English. And it's 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 the the notion of faith as fidelity or even more strongly faith as allegiance. Mm. So um, 
you know, uh, when a citizen takes a, a, the oath of citizenship, when a, an immigrant takes the oath of citizenship, you know, they, they pledge their true faith and allegiance. Right. Well, we're, we're not talking about propositional belief. We're not talking personal relationship. You don't have a personal relationship to the United States of America, <laughs> but you do have allegiance to the government and to the nation. Mm -hmm. And so there's this important sense in which personal trust and correct belief have to result in a lifestyle of fidelity to the one who's believed in and mm -hmm. under difficult circumstances even maintain allegiance. This is an interesting, Matthew Bates has written a string of books that, that explore this idea of um, faith is allegiance. And you have mm. to think of it in terms of the kingdom language that, that the gospels use. If Jesus is the one who inaugurates the kingdom of God, then he is in fact the king. And that's in fact what the gospels tell us. He is the Messiah. He, yeah. is, he is the king of Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. You show allegiance to a king as one of his subjects mm. through thick and thin, in difficult times and in good times. And so there is, that, there is that sense then of all of these things being present when you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. You believe certain things about Jesus Christ earlier in, in the book. I, is it earlier or later where, where basically says, you know, you must believe that Jesus came from the father right? i believe it's i think that's chapter two chapter two i believe that um anyone who denies that jesus came from the father is not a christian right mm -hmm. so there's a belief that there's a doctrinal element but you have to actually trust in jesus our hope is always in jesus he is always the object of all of our affections and emotions right um but then there's this sense that it's and and i think this is in many ways what's going on in first john when you have these heretics or schismatics whatever you want to call them who bailed they have demonstrated infidelity mm. and uh disallegiance isn't the right that's not a word is it treason they they basically <laughs> treason, committed yeah. treason against yeah. the king yeah and so as we look at this 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 concept of belief or faith just is so rich because it's so holistic. It touches on the mind. It touches on the heart. It touches on what we do with our hands and our actions. And so I think all of that is involved in believing in the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, the name of Jesus Christ is important because the name is the name of God, right? Right. Um, and so it's not just that we are uh, reciting some mystical incantation <laughs> like like the ancient magical texts in, in Greek society, where we, if you, if you say abracadabra, Jesus Christ, you know, whatever it comes to you, right. the name of Jesus Christ really is his character and his reputation and his deeds. And so that you're putting your faith in him in all the senses of the term. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good. All right. Well, guys, we want to hear from you. How has um, this challenged you? How has it adjusted your, your view on what it looks like to love people and to serve people? We want to hear from you. Reach, reach out to us, mediahub at thbstreport.com or, um, or check us out on Facebook. Look for Midweek Move. George, what's your big takeaway for today's uh, episode? I think that the big takeaway is if we believe in Jesus Christ, we become like him. Mm. If you believe in, in Jesus Christ in this full, full sense of not just a cognitive belief, mm -hmm. that, you, that you become like him because right. it is much more than mental assent. Right. Um, you, you begin to take on, I mean, if, if, G, if, if, if God is our father and Jesus Christ is the son of God, then in, in an important sense, Jesus Christ is our elder brother. 
Right. He's he's the natural biological child of God to stretch an analogy. We're the adopted kids. You want to know what you want to know what the house looks like. You want to know what the family looks like. The elder brother shows the way. Mm. And if we have our faith in him, then our lives, true faith in him, then our right. lives will take on the characteristics that he reveals. Because as the gospel puts it, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Yeah. And it's we have seen the son and we are becoming like him through the spirit. Absolutely. So good. And I just want to echo that. I mean, that is a that is a key aspect. The when we are in Christ, we can be transformed. And that does require us to change our mindset and change our actions. It, there's not a requirement to get saved, but out of salvation, there's a transformation that takes place because we want to be more in the image of God. We're our the identity in Christ calls us to do something different, to be a little bit different. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're listening and you're like, you know, I, I want this love of the Father. I want to know who Christ is. Let's pray with you. Reach out to us. Uh, we want to walk you through that aspect of, of A, giving your life to Christ. But we want to help you out with discipleship. We want to help you take your next step. We want to just leave you at that door. We want to walk you in and start that process of being like Christ. That being said, uh, George, thank you again for being here with us. Um, where can people find out about you and the uh, Influence podcast? So I would just drive everybody to influencemagazine.com. That's where I post uh, most of what I write. We have other authors on influencemagazine.com too, but the podcast is there. Uh, just go to influencemagazine.com slash podcast. And there are other resources as well. If you go to slash downloads, you can get uh, leadership development curriculum for use in church volunteer teams and, and ministry teams. And if you go to, I think it's um, slash issues, <laughs> you can see all the back issues of the magazine, which can be viewed online for free. Awesome. There will be links in the description down below for you guys. That being said, again, like I said, we, we want to encourage you guys, we want to challenge you uh, in any way, but reach out to us. Let us know how we can pray with you. Let us know how we can do life with you. Until next time, have a great week.